1: Welcome back, everyone. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast, where we like to meet the perfect combination of all-22 game film analysis with analytics and sometimes the eye test. As always, I'm your co-host, Dan Schneier, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Turchin. Today's podcast is going to be a little different. For the first time in the Big Blue Panther Podcast history, and we've been going for a little bit over a year now, we're going to have a guest on the show, and this is going to become something that we're going to work in during the 2019 season. Uh, both in season during the preseason, and today's show is going to be a little different than those because during the in season shows, we're going to have a guest on, and then we're going to go into our own analysis. But today, it's just a full show with a guest we have on that I'm really, really, really excited to get on. It's somebody who caught my attention like 15 months ago, probably during the pre-draft process of the 2018 NFL draft, and he's been a rising star in the industry, in the draft industry since. You probably know him from Twitter. Uh, if you don't, then you probably should follow him immediately, and that's Jordan Reed of the NFL Draft Network. Uh, Jordan, how are you doing today? And where can and Let's start off things by telling the fans where they can find you because he is a must-follow on Twitter.
2: I'm great, guys. I just want to thank you guys for the opportunity. You know to join you guys today. It's a it's a privilege to be here. But you can find me on Twitter at jreedNFL. That's at j r e i d. NFL. You can also find my work on thedraftnetwork.com, also pocket.com. I also host a podcast called the Draft Board, as well, which you can find on any
1: podcast platform. And let me tell you guys something: if you guys like the film breakdowns that Nick does on Twitter, and sometimes that I do from time to time, and obviously I'm a little bit of a novice compared to those guys, to, compared to Nick and Jordan, you got to check out Jordan's Twitter because he's putting out excellent content, and he's putting it out a lot. So he is one of my favorite follows on Twitter. I've learned a lot from interacting with him, from following his work, and then from now reading it on the Draft Network. And let me tell you guys, the Draft Network is an excellent draft website as well. And so they got a really big hit here with talent that they picked up uh, when they when they added on Jordan. But Jordan, before we dive into some questions today about the Giants roster, about the Giants 2019 NFL Draft, about a lot of the things that have gone on with the franchise, both now in the, uh in the future and also in the past, I wanted to kind of dive into your – progression in this industry and how you came to be so I want to start off by asking you if you could take me down your career path in football analysis where did it start and how did it get to where you are today yeah so
2: I have a really interesting story that I actually love to tell every time I'm asked when I come on a podcast so um, about 2010 is when I started actually playing college football with a small school called North Carolina Central University is located in Durham North Carolina I'm sure everybody has heard of Duke Before it's a crosstown rival, it's about five minutes away from there. So, I played quarterback there from 2010 to 2013. I was a three year starter there. Uh, I actually had the courage to post my clips on my timeline a couple days ago, and everybody went crazy about that. So, I posted my clips and just sharing that type of football information. And a lot of people don't really understand the type of background that I did have playing the quarterback position, something that I pride myself on just because. We're different types of individuals. There's not a lot of people that can grace this earth that played a position successfully. And you just get a unique understanding of playing the position uh, once you're under center for a certain amount of time. So after that, I didn't have a pro career or anything like that. I didn't want to pursue the NFL game. I just got tired of taking those hits. And I just wanted to talk about the game without having the worry of the play violence that is included within it. So. I went into a blogger career, and something that I did was I just started a random blog on a website that was called blogger.com. not even sure if that website exists anymore, and I was just writing up scouting reports and stories that I found interesting. And I didn't publish them or anything like that, but I just wanted to keep a collection of everything that I was writing because even when I was playing in my playing days, I always had an interest of being like a sports beat writer covering a team. And just having that type of interest is something that carried over after my playing career. So after that, I actually got into coaching Uh, right after that. I coached at North Carolina Central for five years up until 2017. I was a running backs coach. I was a quarterbacks coach and a graduate assistant there as well. So the great thing about that is now I'm seeing things from a different lens. So I saw things as a player and now I'm seeing things as a coach and even as a coach I got great experience as a recruiting coordinator so that is where my interest came from scouting that is where I started to learn players just their backgrounds like who was the decision makers in these guys homes what made them comfortable wanting to attend certain universities so having interest like that is really what got me into scouting and what got me into the pro side of things is that I've always had an interest in the NFL draft growing up I used to watch every single round, all seven rounds of the draft every year. And it's something that I've always been interested in. So uh, unfortunately, I got let go uh, from the school. We all got let go because of a coaching change a couple of years ago at North Carolina Central. And I wanted to pursue my blogging career. And this is where I started to publish scouting reports and get more or dive deeper into the scouting industry and, Who knows here? I mean, here I am today and I would have never guessed that, you know, my progression would be like this. But I've learned so much uh, in my short time. I've been a blogger now for going on eight years. So I've learned so much about the industry and my story definitely is unique. Yeah, Jordan.
1: I mean, listen, I think what you said is you hit the nail on the head because you have that experience and that background playing the quarterback position. And listen, I saw your quarterback tape that you posted and, and my evaluation is you had a nice compact release. Solid mobility, questionable arm talent outside the ashes, but overall, (laughs) promising profile. But but listen, having that background and playing the quarterback position, you hear it at the NFL level from guys who go into coaching, from guys who go into scouting, guys who go into analysis, guys who convert from quarterback to wide receiver like Edelman. Playing that position gives you a really strong advantage from the schematic side of football and just from understanding the game. But also, like you said, being on the coaching side helped you as well. And it's been really awesome to see your progression uh, in this community because I think you're one of the rising stars, a big talent in this industry. And I'm glad to see people recognizing it because that's what we all want. We want the talented people analyzing football being recognized and, and having the ability to move up but can you tell me a little bit also about your process of evaluating film because on this big blue bander podcast one of the things we like to do and really it's our main thing is that we like to break down the all 22 when there's actual football games during the offseason seasons a little harder um, and we like to draw conclusions from what we see so i've seen you cover a wide range of players and positions on your twitter but can you tell me kind of how you got into the process of evaluating film and, and just a little bit about what it what it entails yeah, that's a really good question. I'm actually running a series right now on the
2: Draft Network, breaking down exactly what to look for each position. And I think that's the first thing that you have to entail. What exactly are you looking for and what are you trying to get out of this? So with positional factors, you have to factor in exactly who you're looking at. And let's just start a quarterback, just the intangibles. Who is this guy? Not only on the film, but who is he off the field? And that's something that I love to do on my annual draft guide. And that's something that I put or made an emphasis on is that I want to make sure people are understanding who Daniel Jones is on the field and off the field. I just don't want to paint a picture because you can flip on the TV. You can see Duke playing Clemson and that you can form an opinion of who Daniel Jones is based off of that. But outside of the field, who exactly is he? And that's something what makes him tick. That's something that I love to do. Now, just stand on the film side of things. Now you have to figure out exactly who he is from an Armstrong strength standpoint, uh, lower body mechanics, arm strength, things like that. And just how well is his mental processing? Those are some of the things that you like to see from a quarterback. And it's just certain characteristics that you want to outline with each position. And that's something that I like to write down as well, because there's going to be certain things that you look for in different guys as well. Because you're not going to look at Daniel Jones the same way you're going to look at Kyler Murray, just because they're different types of quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And Nick, I wanted you to jump in for a second. Tell me kind of how does his process compare to what you do as far as your process goes from Evaluating film, you know, taking notes,
3: things, into things that matter. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's going to be pretty, pretty similar. Uh, you know, you're looking to take a small sample size of games. The big difference where I, what I find, and and why I use Jordan's um, uh, draft guide, and this is not a plug, um, to be totally honest. Jordan's draft guide is really, really in depth, and like he said, it actually does give insight uh, to the. Uh, to the backgrounds of the players to the point where in my own notes, I have, (laughs) I actually have a note section for Jordan's take on the player for his background, because it's literally that interesting. Uh, so Jordan has more insight and a better work that way to, uh, to basically through his contacts and through his ability in the, you know, as a, as an ex player and et cetera, et cetera, all the contacts that he has, I stick to just the tape and he gives the full, he gives the full perspective. I think that would kind of, kind of be the, the, the key difference.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, we're not plugging his draft guy because listen, we're not gonna get any money at nothing like that. Don't worry. But it is an amazing, really tool for anyone who wants to learn more about these prospects. And you know, like both Nick and Jordan said, there's a lot more to the story of a prospect than just what you see on tape or just the analytics or just the advanced sets or just the raw stats, any of that. Because and and this is part of the reason why you see guys like Daniel Jones go up at number six, the Giants when you know a lot of analysts had him ranked a lot lower and this goes on and on i mean you t- you look at the stories of, w- of what the giants said about their interviews with guys like Justin Tuck when they drafted him and players from the past uh there's a lot of examples like that and and some of the common one of the commonalities is that they really liked their interview process with said prospects so it's really cool to learn that stuff from jordan and, and other people in the industry who are, who are diving a little deeper into that but jordan i want to transition a little bit and talk a little bit about the Giants with you because what we wanted to accomplish in this podcast, me and Nick, is getting somebody who, like I said, I believe is a rising star with a lot to offer in this industry to give us an outside perspective on the Giants because me and Nick are talking Giants 24-7. We're, we're following Giants 24-7, and in that process, sometimes you can get lost. Uh, you can get you know tunnel vision, um, but you look at the NFL from a whole, and so let's start with the Giants 2019 offseason and the draft, Jordan, and then we'll work our way back. and some, From an outside perspective, Uh, Looking at where the Giants roster is now and where the Giants roster was before the draft and before the offseason, let's say, when they still have Landon Collins and Odell Beckham Jr., do you believe that there is any justification for some of the roster-building decisions they've made?
2: Yeah, and I mean, everyone sees that how Dave Gettleman wants to build this team, and that's from the inside out. And we saw it even going back to last year's offseason when he signed Nate Solder, and even getting a guy this year and Kevin Zeitler and last year as well with Will Hernandez. So he wants to build this team from the inside out. That's how he did it when he was with the Carolina Panthers. And he wants to take that similar blueprint and what he did back then over to now. And another prime example of adding that this year is taking a guy like Dexter, Dexter Lawrence in the first round who a lot of people debated if he was worthy of a first round selection or not, but just where his sentiments lie and his values lie. It is in the trenches. So him taking a guy like Dexter Lawrence in the first round, he had no problems with doing that, even shipping off a guy like Snacks Harrison, who was a very similar player. He wanted to get a cheaper option and maybe a more athletic option at the position as well. So Dave Gettleman wants to build this team from the inside out. But also everyone knew that the Giants had to address the quarterback position in some way. The twilight days or the prime years of Eli Manning are far gone. And a lot of people are saying that he's just not a very good player anymore. But Dave Gettleman just doesn't see it that way or he's giving off that perception. And he goes up and he takes Daniel Jones, a guy that or a prospect that is very similar to Eli Manning in a lot of ways, whether that's mannerisms to mechanics and just how they carry themselves. I think this roster is in good shape, in my opinion, for the future. And I know a lot that might be very debatable, but. I think from a trenches standpoint, I think the Giants are very talented. Now, as far as in the secondary, I do think they need some help. Uh, Janoris Jenkins, is a very expensive option, uh, but they did address the secondary very good this year. I think Julian Love was an underrated pickup in the fourth round and DeAndre Baker in the first round. I think that was a fantastic pickup, even though Long speed is a huge question with Baker, but as far as what he brings to the table as a pressman corner, I think he's going to help the secondary tremendously. And a lot of people are forgetting about Sam Beal, who they took in the supplemental round uh, with a third round selection last year, even though he has battled some injury issues. I think he's going to be able to help the secondary. So they have a lot of intriguing pieces on, on three levels of the field, even though they may need some help on the second level, but I think the defensive line is absolutely loaded. You add in Dexter Lawrence to Dalvin Dalvin and Lorenzo Carter, who I was very high on uh, out of Georgia last year, and B.J. Hill, who was a huge surprise out of the third round last year. So they have a lot of intriguing pieces on this defense, and even though they lost Landon Collins uh, to the Redskins, Antoine Bethea is a serviceable veteran option. I'm sure they're going to look to upgrade Uh, that position as we go into 2020 but also they get a guy like Jabril Peppers who can come in and be the team's day one starting strong safety Uh, flipping over to the other side of the ball and yes I know they lost one of the most explosive options uh, in the NFL in Odell Beckham Jr. but you pick up Golden Tate who was a serviceable option that can be that underneath guy and we know Sterling Shepard has come on really strong since taking him in the second round of the 2016 draft I believe it was he's gotten his money a huge extension, so he's going to have heightened expectations this year stepping into that top wide receiver role. So I think this roster is in good shape, and that's not even without mentioning Saquon Barkley, who is an absolute stud. And I think the Giants, maybe, I think they're a couple years away from really competing in the NFC East, but as far as laying a foundation and what this roster can be, I think it's all on the shoulders of Daniel Jones' progression and what he can be, but I think they have one of the best cores I won't say in the NFL, but I think they probably have the second group, of course. I think they're right up there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love to hear it. That was great stuff right there from Jordan Reed. And listen, Jordan, I love to hear because sometimes I wonder when I think about this roster, I I think I wonder if my bias plays into a role, not my bias toward the Giants, but my bias towards a roster construction that starts and builds from the inside out, as you explained. And we've talked about this in the past on this podcast. I've harped on it on Twitter I believe in the inside-out roster building process, and obviously Dave Gettleman believes in it as well. But what's in, been interesting to see is kind of how he believes, uh, once he now that he's established a lot of talent on this defensive line, it's been interesting to see his the difference in his roster construction on the second and third levels, with seemingly a lot more resources now recently being poured into that secondary, um, kind of what I think to fit James Venture's defensive scheme. And we'll find out more about that later. But before we get into that, I want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the evaluations you just touched on there, Jordan. And I wanted to start with one that is probably the most important towards Giants fans, because like you said, if you do believe they have that second tier type core and they could get there in a matter of, you know, a couple years, two, three, one, two, three years, a lot of that is going to depend on the progression of the number six overall pick Daniel Jones. So as far as the 2019 NFL draft was concerned, And I think, again, we can learn a lot from Jordan at the quarterback position, because like he said, he played the position and he spends a lot of time evaluating it. How did you rank the quarterbacks in this class? And what was your overall evaluation of Jones? And then as a follow up, Jordan, how does he, how do you feel he fits what Pat Shermer wants to do schematically on the offensive side of the ball? So I had it: Kyler Murray one, Dwayne Haskins two, Drew Locke three, and
2: Daniel Jones was my fourth ranked quarterback. I believe I had a second round grade on him. And I know he was a highly, by far, the most debated quarterback of this group outside of Kyler Murray. And that's because of the reported interest in him and teams really all over the place as far as their, their draft board and how they stacked him in this quarterback group. But I think the first thing that people have to understand about Daniel Jones is just exactly who he is. I think he's a very underrated athlete. And he's not a guy that's going to be able to consistently get himself out of trouble or harm's way, but he's not a statue back there by any means. And he has a bit—he has a bit of a limited arm, I will say that. But he has some really good spurts where he shows some really good down the field accuracy. And last year against Northwestern, I think that was one of his better games. And just his fit with Pat Shermer, I think it is absolutely fantastic. And I say that because at Duke, Daniel Jones was very RPO reliant, run, run pass option reliant, and. That's really how he gets comfortable in games. And if you go back and watch him against Georgia Tech, that was another game where he – or Virginia Tech, I should say, where he showed a lot of comfort a lot of comfort in the RPO game. And we've seen with, with Pat Shermer, he likes to incorporate a bunch of RPO just because he has such a supreme or dominant threat at the running back position in Saquon Barkley. His threat as a running option is so good. And then you couple that with the threat of having a guy in the slot like Sterling Shepard that if defenses start to get nosy or they start to crowd the box, then you can run those RPOs with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard out of the slot. Even a guy like Evan Ingram, who I think is an underrated weapon that's probably going to have a big year next year stepping into a bigger role. So with Daniel Jones, he's a dominant RPO thrower. Uh, True concepts in the Duke offense really were minimal. And most of of his explosive throws down the field really came on RPOs and this just goes to show you that he probably would need to expand his horizons a bit just because defenses are much smarter in the NFL. They're going to be able to pick up on that RPO game. But his fit in Pat Shermer's offense, I think, is really good because he's not a huge down-the-field thrower. He would pick and choose his spots of when he wants to go down the field. But as far as the short to intermediate areas, I think that's where he shows the most comfort,
1: and that's where Pat Shermer wants to attack. Yeah, I mean that's awesome to hear, Jordan. Because listen, a lot of what you just broke down from, and especially from the schematic standpoint, is exactly along the lines of what Pat Shermer wants to accomplish in this offense. And I know me and Nick have dove into dove into a lot of what we how we see Jones fitting into the scheme. We had a, a full podcast that devoted to it. But one of the interesting concepts you brought up, and I know we touched on it as well, was the RPO game because that's something that you know they didn't they did a little bit of with Eli Manning last year, a little bit more in the second half, but. It's something we would hope to see more because we've seen more of it in the past with when he had Case Keenum and other quarterbacks that he worked with, including Nick Foles, um, during his time with the Eagles. So as we dive a little deeper here, Jordan, I kind of wanted to let you play Giants GM for a minute because you have such a good overall scope of the draft class that I, uh, as a whole, I kind of wanted to know what you would do. So let's play the game that we assume that the Giants do complete a trade to ship Eli App, the, the picks they receive for the Eli Apple and Damon Harrison trades to get that number 30 overall pick. So, looking at how the, how the draft actually played out, who would be on your roster with picks number six, seventeen, and thirty if you were playing Giants GM? I
2: honestly, I would have took Josh Allen with the sixth overall selection, and I know that was very debatable, just because this roster really needed a pass rusher, and I think he would have brought that to the table. And I just, I had him higher graded on my board than Daniel Jones, and everyone knew that it wasn't a secret that how much the Giants loved. Daniel Jones coming into the process, but I would have took I would have took Josh Allen right there and you get a premier pass rusher. And also I would have traded up. And so I would essentially already had those two first round picks. I believe it was six and 17. I probably would have traded up from 17 to go up and get Dwayne Haskins. And I know he went with the 15th overall selection to the Redskins, but I was a huge fan of Haskins. I loved him a lot. And I think of any fit out of any quarterback in this class with Pat Shermer's offense. Haskins would have been a great fit with Pat Shermer.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, Jordan. I think what your your plan follows right along the lines of your uh, of Nick's plan. Is that correct, Nick? You kind of would have went in that same direction, especially with Haskins.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. I think if, if you're if you're kind of a tape guy and you like and you kind of appreciate what Shermer likes in the pat the pocket game, then yeah, I, I think most guys had you know Haskins as the best pocket passer uh, in 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 this class. Yeah, it's interesting,
1: guys, because. Just like you guys just kind of mentioned, and it's interesting. I'm, i guessing when I'm saying guys, I'm, assuming, I'm I'm kind of addressing the fans who listen to our podcast here. I also kind of felt like Dwayne Haskins was the best fit for Pat Schirmer's offensive scheme, so it did kind of concern me when they passed on him. Now, is that more to do with kind of some concerns the Giants may have off the field, which I have no idea about during the interview process? Again, we have no knowledge of that interview process with Haskins and the Giants, or Haskins and any team, or Jones and the Giants. Or or is it something to do with the more mobility stance, the fact that, you know, they're looking for mobility in their next quarterback and more athleticism? Where do you guys stand on why do you think that the Giants ultimately made the decision? Because they did have this decision to go with Jones over Haskins.
2: I'll start with you, Jordan. Well, there's a lot of reasons, and I'm sure some of you guys have heard this before. Uh, Eli Manning and Daniel Jones, they've had a working relationship before, even going back to the Manning passing camps. Over the years, and they've developed a very good relationship, they're essentially the same person, which is something that has been going around a lot on Twitter with the pictures of them beside each other. They essentially look the same from the bodybuild standpoint to the way they're structured to the way they throw the ball they also sh- they also share the same agent so that's another conspiracy theory that was going around yeah. on why the why the giants loved him so much they've had a they've been able to get a sneak peek behind or peel the curtain back behind of exactly uh, who he is as a person and being able to Just ask his agent and also Eli Manning just some more in-depth questions about him just because he's been guiding him along the way, even going back through the pre-draft process. But honestly, I like this fit a lot, and I'm a bigger fan than what some people have floated out there. And I know he's been crushed on Twitter, and Dave Gettleman's been crushed on Twitter uh, for the Daniel Jones selection. But I think this could end up being one of the bigger surprises of the draft, especially if he's able to mix with Pat Sherman's offense and what he wants to incorporate.
1: Yeah, I mean, Nick, do you have anything else
3: to add on that? No, you know, I think we, we took a podcast and del- delved into how you know you could you could draw that maybe mobility is valued higher than pocket passing, but even in the wake of that, just kind of reflecting on it, I definitely think it's more of how Dave Gettleman sees the game and from the intangibles and everything kind of mentioned previous that that's valued more and that the mobility is something that basically the coaching staff lives with versus a a pocket passer, you know, a higher pocket passing trait that that Haskins has.
1: Yeah, no doubt, guys. And listen, I think that there is some validity to the, to the to argument that, listen, they came into this and they, like like Jordan said, they had a lot more insight into who Jones is. And for the New York market, it is important that they get this right from that standpoint. They can't put a guy out there who's talent, who's got all the talent in the world but doesn't fit uh, the market because you've seen guys like that flame out, both with the Giants and Jets and, the, and throughout their history of their franchise, especially with the Jets. Uh, from that standpoint, even though obviously the Jets haven't had the most talented players at that position, but you've seen examples of it. And I think that the one thing I worry about in that regard is that the Giants, because they had more information on Jones and less information on someone like Haskins or Murray or whoever else was in the mix for them at the quarterback position. And again, in March, Dave gettleman essentially people didn't pick up on, that. I was going back and looking at some of my work the other day and saw this, essentially uh, told fans he was taking a quarterback. So kind of we can narrow it down from that. And I think because they had more information on Jones, they might have been a little biased in that decision-making process. We're going to find out how that all plays out. But I like what Jordan said, and it kind of goes along the lines of what me and Nick said when we broke down Jones in our full podcast about him. We're a little bit more optimistic about this than, A, we were before uh, we saw the fit with Jones uh, with the Giants, before he was drafted by any team. And kind of, you know, once we started assessing the fit with Pat Shermer, but I want to take it back to reality right now, Jordan, and kind of go back to what they actually did in the draft. And so what are your evaluations of the other, I know you touched on it a little bit before, but what are your evaluations of the other two Giants first round picks? Because again, like you said, if this court is going to reach its peak and and start to compete in a a matter of a couple of years, they're not only going to need Daniel Jones, but they're going to need a hit on these two other first round picks.
2: Yeah, and once you go back and look at the Giants draft as a whole, it was very underrated, in my opinion. Once you start to look past the Dane Jones selection and the fiasco that really came with that from social media and some of the big media guys that maybe may have disagreed with and said it was a bit early, if you go back and just look at the draft class as a, whole, as a whole, I think it was very underrated. And the Dexter Lawrence to the Giants selection made a lot of sense, and we already touched on it a bit, just how Dave Gettleman wants to build this team but the one issue i did have with it was that i really didn't understand why he traded away snacks harrison to bring in a very similar guy and yes i know the price Uh, Is a situation that he probably didn't want to deal with. But I probably would have waited a little later to take take such a one-way player like Dexter Lawrence because he's more of your true traditional run-stuffer type of defensive tackle, a guy that's probably not going to get up the field as much as you would like. But if you go back and think about that, that's really not what the Giants ask of their interior guys to do. They just want them to hold down the point of attack, which is what Dexter Lawrence is really good at. Now, he has struggled a bit as a pass rusher. His pass production really did dip. After his first year, I believe he had six and a half sacks as a freshman, and then it dipped to three and a half sacks during his final two seasons. So his his pass rush productivity wasn't where you would like to see it, but that's just not what he's going to be asked to do in this defense. So he's stepping into a role where really it fits his 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 scheme or his skill set a lot, I should say, and where he's going to be able to hold at the point of attack alongside Dalvin Tomlinson, a very similar player. Uh, to what he did at Alabama as far as just two-gapping and being able to hold down at the point of attack. Dexter Lawrence is capable of doing that. Now, the next selection I absolutely loved was DeAndre Baker, a corner that I was very high on. I had an early second-round grade on him, so getting him at the 30 overall selection uh, was right where I had him, his wheelhouse, and the long-speed questions were something that were raised a lot about him, but I thought he played a bit faster than what he ran. At the combine, I believe he ran in the mid four or fives at the combine. But as, as far as a guy that is competitive at the line of scrimmage, uh, exuberates that confidence that you love to see at the line of scrimmage, I think he's going to bring a certain type of swagger and confidence to the giant secondary that they were hoping to get with Eli Apple. So he's a much more exuberant or extrovert type of corner that you love to see. And when he makes plays, he's going to let the entire stadium know about it. And that's what you want to see from a corner, just because I think half the battle at that position is – feeling that you belong and we've seen guys like Jalen Ramsey and a lot of other guys Marshawn Lattimore is another great example coming to the league immediately and have that type of success just because of the confidence that they had at the position and I think DeAndre Baker exuberates that
1: yeah I love your breakdown right there Baker because for me when I see a guy and again Baker is probably my favorite pick for the Giants in this draft class I've, I've, I've made that clear on numerous occasions I even like the decision to trade back up because it guarantees them that Fifth year team option, uh, so they don't have to kind of risk him going to the market and getting a Landon Collins like offer six years, 84 mil. And when a guy comes in and dominates the SEC like he has for two full season sample size, and that is the best conference in football and uh, college football as far as anyone is concerned. And when he dominates like that, And he plays press man and he does exactly what the Giants are going to want him to do within their scheme. Coming from a a scheme under Kirby Smart, that's very similar to what James Betcher does. They're not very similar, but in some ways similar. To me, it's a knockout pick. I mean, the question mark is the long speed, obviously, as Jordan mentions. And a lot of that is really just based on his 40-yard dash time. It's not as much based on the tape. And when you you throw that in for me, that just, I'm sold. Because I'm not going to worry about 40-yard time when it doesn't show up in the actual games. Because we've seen that. That we've seen that whole thing play out plenty of times with countless NFL players at both the running back and quarter and cornerback and some of the other skill positions. And it just it ends up the time speed ends up meaning absolutely nothing at the NFL level. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but I did want to get your take, Jordan, before we move past this 2019 class on just if any of the other kind of later picks, the day three guys. And you could throw in O'Shane Examine uh, at the X-Men in here if you want to. But did any of those later picks catch your attention before the draft in any way?
2: Yeah, Julian Love did. And I keep harping on him, a guy that uh, analytics absolutely loved. And I've done a better job of incorporating film and analytics into my breakdown. And he ended up coming out as what analytics like to call analytical darling and that his film and his tape really match. And you really don't get that with a lot of prospects. One guy, maybe their tape may be better than what analytics disagrees on or vice versa. And Julian love was a guy that came out as an analytical darling and that his analytics matched up really well with the table lovers' love for him and getting him in the fourth round. I think that was an absolute steal. And I think he's probably going to be better served as a nickel corner. So he steps into a role where the giants really do need help at just because they don't really have a standout nickel corner right now. And I'm not even sure who their other outside corner is going to be, uh, with Deandre Baker and, um, uh jones jacons slipped my mind so he's going to step into that nickel corner role right away Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being one of the more upper tier type of guys in the league even though there is some questions about his long speed and this his click close awareness on the ball i think that's probably his biggest struggles right now but i think those are those are issues he can get figured out uh, as he becomes more of a seasoned pro but i think him being in the slot is going to help him out a lot as far as those concerns about his long speed down the field just because guarding those guys in the slot he's as much as his his long speed is not going to be put as much stressed upon as opposed to if he was playing outside like he did at Notre Dame, so he's going to be he's going to be positioned more in a three way go as far as receivers that can attack vertically left or right as opposed to guys that really want to attack more vertically down the sideline on the outside. So I think nickel corner does him much more of a service.
1: Yeah, no doubt, Jordan. And it's interesting because Grant Haley, obviously the undrafted rookie free agent they signed out of Penn State, who ended up playing kind of the second half of the season as that nickel guy finished OTAs as the first team uh, nickel. And, you know, love didn't really crack too many crack that first team with too many reps during OTAs, spring OTAs for the Giants. But I wouldn't uh, put that much into that that much weight into that training camp is really where these jobs are going to be won. And I'm with Jordan, I think love is going to win that job right away for week one. Uh, And that's no knock on Haley. I think that's more of a, you know, more of a a praise for what I think love can become both within this defense and in the NFL, but we'll move a little bit backwards real quick, Jordan. I did just want to get your take on the 2018 NFL draft class for the giants as well, because they did find some really immediate success there. Obviously, obviously, Barkley was rookie of the year. Hernandez, an immediate six-game starter, Hill, uh, uh, basically an immediate starter, started there, that way, especially after they traded Damon Harrison became full-time player, and obviously Grant Haley was was, was their sub-package starter, and they played a ton of sub-packages, like we talked about in the past. I mean, the Giants were in the sub-package defense eighty-four percent of the snaps last year. So, and 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 again, there's also speculation and and some. People are looking to Lorenzo Carter as, as he could be headed towards a, a breakout season. I just read that he put on 10 to 12 pounds of muscle this off season, which I think could only help him for his body type. Um, do you have any interesting hot takes you want to drop about this 2018 class or just any overall valuations moving into the 2019 season?
2: Uh, I don't necessarily have any hot takes, but I think Lorenzo Carter can be a 10-plus sack type of guy, and I wrote that up in his report, and it, it showed up in his film at Georgia. It was just a matter of him. The light bulb finally turning on for him and him learning how to use all of his tools. And what you saw last year is that he slowly started to figure out playing that Sam linebacker position. When he did rush the passer, you saw him using his hands a bit more, becoming more violent as far as stabbing offensive tackles in the chest and using those long arm moves just because of the, the traits and the measurables that he had. And essentially at Georgia, he played like a guy with his arms cut off he just did not use his arms at all and that's the first thing that sticks out about him is just how long he is but he just didn't use his hands and his arm length to his advantage and as the year went along he started to figure things out and I think he's going to be a really good player for the Giants
1: and it would surprise me if he ends up being a 10 plus sack guy yeah I mean that sounds great for Giants that must sound great for Giants fans because there is a lot of potential from from Carter especially from an athletic, uh, athletic standpoint I mean he's a guy who a uh, Aaron Jones, I believe, or not Aaron Jones, I'm trying to, Aaron Davis, who the Giants signed as an undrafted free agent last year, cornerback out of Georgia, played alongside him, said they used to call him LeBron James uh, on that Georgia team, just based on how freakishly athletic he is. So we'll see if it can translate this year. Um, But before we dive into kind of the last question I have about the Giants, I did want to say that. Jordan does a lot of excellent work on the draft uh, throughout the entire year, so you're going to get a lot of awesome 2020 NFL draft takes if you jump into his work now. So I did. W- we're going to touch on that as well. But there, before we dive there, I do want to ask you, Jordan, about kind of the discussion about third year uh, 2017 first rounder and Giants tight end Evan, Evan Ingram. So me and Nick are a little bit off on this one. Nick sees some upside. I see a lot of upside and more of a chance of a breakout. And obviously, in the fantasy football community, there's a lot of talk about Ingram being a breakout tight end. So where do you stand on Ingram entering 2019? Because again, it's a kind of a highly debated topic and there are a wide range of opinions here.
2: I think he can be a breakout candidate. It's just a matter of them figuring out how they want to use him. And I think him having another full offseason in Pat Sherman's offense, I think that's going to help him tremendously. And they need to figure out if they want him to be a, co- a combination of a the guy that they try to use as a blocking guy and a receiving threat or essentially just as an extra wide receiver. And I'm hoping right. the latter instead of the former because he is not a blocking tight end at all. And everyone knew that when he was coming out of Ole Miss a couple of years ago. And he is, is essentially an extra wide receiver. And with Odell Beckham Jr. gone now, there's a lot of touches to be had. And I think he definitely could help from that. And everyone knows how explosive he is. A guy that attacks the football out the air, a fantastic route runner in my opinion, can separate and detach from defenders whenever he wants to. It's just a matter of that light finally clicking for him and him being used strictly as a receiving
1: threat. No doubt. All right, well, that gives me some confidence as well. And and like you said, a good point you mentioned there is that, you know, the Giants are going to open up an average of 145 to 160. I mean, Odell Beckham once topped out, I believe, at 162 or 168 targets in a season so you're talking about a lot of touches targets opening up in this offense and they have to go somewhere and if you look at that final four game sample size for the Giants at the end of the 2018 season the targets were heavily contrary I'm talking over 90 percent uh between Shepard Ingram and Saquon Barkley who became a much bigger part of the passing game at the end of the season so for all the guys who are telling me you know don't draft Saquon Barkley because it's the same it's the David Johnson situation over again you're drafting a running back in a bad offense none of those guys realize that David Johnson never saw the target volume that Barkley saw last season in a single season, even in a season where he, he dominated from a, from a receiving standpoint. Um, and that passing game role is only going to grow for not only Barkley, but Ingram and Shepard as well. Before we, we close this one up, Jordan, though, I did want to get some takes about the 2020 NFL draft. I know a lot of my follow, our followers on, in the Big Blue Banter podcast Ask me and Nick a lot of questions about the 2020 draft, and we'll be honest with them when we tell them we haven't dove into it yet. But the good, we have a lot of other stuff we cover. But the good news is you have Jordan. So I did want to get your take on a little bit of an early preview of the class, and you can focus kind of on the positions where the Giants needed the most, and I'll kind of pinpoint those as right tackle, edge, potentially center, inline tight end, which to me is a massive need for the Giants, and then wide receiver. So on those and those kind of five positions there, do you have any? interesting preview or players you wanted to touch on yeah so outside of tight end the great
2: thing for the giants is that this draft class is really strong at all of those and i'll just start at center there's two guys that are probably going to end up being first round selections and the first one is Tyre beatish uh, from wisconsin everyone has heard about him i thought he was going to come out last year but he surprisingly uh, got not an undraftable draft grade but he got a go back to school draft grade from the committee which was really shocking to me uh, about 6'2, 320 pounds Very, very strong guy. And everyone knows the names that have come out of Wisconsin in the years past. And even last year, I thought he was the best of any of those guys. And then the other guy is Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. I think who is the better of the two. Now, he's only going to be a redshirt sophomore this year, so he's still relatively young. Um, and it, it, he's still probably unsure of what's going to happen after this year, but I think he's going to be the anchor of that interior offensive line. If you go back and watch him against Quentin Williams in, in the the semifinals of the college football playoff last year uh, when they faced off against Alabama, that was a really good game, and I thought he held his own. For him to be a redshirt freshman and to hold up against a top-five selection like Quentin Williams, I thought that showed a lot from his development standpoint and him essentially being his first year as a starter showing that type of strength and that type of development. I thought that was a huge plus for him. Uh, Moving on to tackle, there's really two guys who I think could definitely be top 15 selections, I should say. And the first one is Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. There's been a lot of steam about him. He actually was the number one guy, the top listed guy on Bruce Feldman's freak list. And just to give you a little bit of background about him, a multi-time state champion uh, in wrestling, discus, and shot put in high school. Uh, he's only 20 years old, so he still has a ways to go as far as a maturity standpoint. He did have a run-in with some things that he was suspended for last year uh, for the first game of the year, but it wasn't a huge issue or anything that I think is going to negatively affect him uh, from a draft status standpoint. And this is going to be his second year as a full-time starter, manning that right tackle spot at Iowa. And he is number 77 or 74, I should say. So whenever you get a chance to watch The Iowa Hawkeyes this year keep an eye on their right tackle. He is very good and it wouldn't surprise me if he gets into the top 10 discussions. He has that type of talent. And the other guy is Andrew Thomas. The left tackle from Georgia. More of a bigger and a stronger guy. About 6'5", 325 to 330 pounds. Uh, Much more dominant at the line of scrimmage as far as a run blocking standpoint. Now he has a little bit of a ways to go as far as a pass protection standpoint. He's not as athletic as worse or as vertically gifted as worse. But If you're looking for a guy that is dominant at the point of attack, Thomas is definitely your guy. Uh, Transitioning to the edge rushers, Chase Young from Ohio State. He's the guy that's getting a multitude of the love right now. And also A.J. Epinesa from Iowa, a guy that that is getting a lot of steam as well. He's about 6'4", 280 pounds, scheme versatile, very explosive, can bend, very heavy hands, and long arms as well. So, that's just a brief overview of some of the positions that the Giants may need. And also, wide receiver, how could I forget? That's probably the strongest position uh, of this draft class. And the names go on and on. Jerry Judy is the guy that is headlining the class right now, LaVisca Chenault, T. Higgins, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. So, this is a very, very strong wide receiver class. And similar to, to 2014, I believe it was, when the draft when the Giants drafted the Odell Beckham Jr., we could see a class that rivals that class with Sammy Watkins and Mike Evans and uh Devontae adams and some of the names that were listed in that 2014 class and
1: i think this class has a chance to be very legendary no doubt jordan that's a lot of good stuff and a lot of good names you guys probably want to roll back and keep an eye on i mean we got the wisconsin center and that's always going to be somebody you'll see me tweeting about because obviously as you guys know i'm a wisconsin alum and i watch badgers a lot but but i mean i forgot uh, the iowa center what was his name again jordan worst Tristan Wirfs, who plays right tackle for Iowa. That's what really caught my attention because you you put a little video out of him the other day and him just absolutely manhandling a player down in the red zone. A defense bet just just caught my attention immediately. But listen, as you guys know, there is going to be Jerry Judy in this class, and I'm actually a a Lamb fan at Oklahoma. I think he's an absolute stud. But as you know, I'm going to be advocating hard for the Giants to pass on wide receiver in round one because I'm not a big believer in that roster strategy regardless of the player. Uh, that you're going to get, unless you could tell me that Julio Jones is coming back with the draft class. Uh, I'm not sure either of those players are Julio Jones, but on that note, Jordan, I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day today to join us. It was great to get an outside perspective on this Giants roster, decisions they made during this offseason, decisions they would made during the past offseason. seasons. little in- in- insight into an outside perspective on Daniel Jones, and then obviously an awesome 2020 draft preview briefly. Uh, Jordan, before we sign out today, where can, uh, get, l- just let the listeners know again where they can find your work.
2: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at JREIDNFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D. NFL. You can also find my work on the draftnetwork.com. We're doing some great work over there and also climbinthepocket.com. I also host a podcast called the Draft Board that you can check out on every single podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, A
1: nineteen. The list goes on and on. I love it, Jordan. And then as for us, as for Nick and I, this is obviously a little bit uh, out of the ordinary for us. We're doing a little bit of a different podcast today, bringing Jordan on, getting this outside insight uh into the giants, but stay tuned with us during the off season at the end of this week. And just a couple days from now, me and Nick are going to go back into our series that we were diving into earlier. We're going to break down the giants defensive backs. Nick spent a lot of time on them in the past two weeks. So we're really excited for this show. And then obviously as we move forward, we're going to hit giants training camp really soon. So we're going to have a lot of different content for you during the training camp month, the preseason. And obviously we hit our stride. I believe at least in the regular season, when we have some actual all 22 to start diving back into. But on that note, guys, Uh, Have a great rest of your summer. Keep it tuned in on the Big Blue Banter podcast. And as always, tend to end these podcasts. Go Giants.